0: It's time for JT the Brick. How are we doing? Baby, I'm great. JT, how are you doing? I'm not a journalist. I'm an opinionated sports talk host. We have a goal, we have ideas, we know exactly what we want to do here. Just win, baby. The Raiders' schedule is brutal. It's a second place schedule that's front loaded heavy and
1: back loaded heavy.
0: The fans of the Raider Nation sound off like you got a pair
1: jt the brick
0: i'm talking about the notorious ones the out of control fans the passionate fans all of you fans are invited to be a part of the show i'd like you to come in big and come in with a purpose and that's it use the phone like a weapon enjoy everything we do and please always feel welcome to call in and to tweet and to be a part of the show fair enough and now
1: here's jt the brick
0: out of the gate jt with your big day today it's steelers week and the 50th anniversary Of the Immaculate Reception Game, or as George Atkinson called it and phrased it, and he should make millions on it, it's great, the Immaculate Deception. Welcome into the show, noon to two, on the flagship of the Silver and Black Raider Nation Radio. We're brought to you by Golden Entertainment. What a company. I want to thank Golden Entertainment as we wrap up this year. They own the Strat, Arizona Charlies, the Laughlin Entertainment Center, but they own 64-plus taverns here in the Valleys, P.T.'s. Sean Patrick, Sierra Gold, the SG Bar at the top of 215 in Flamingo, where I often go, thank you, thank you, thank you for everybody at Golden Entertainment, everybody who works at these establishments, the executives, our partners behind the scenes. They built the best happy hour in town, 5 to 7, midnight to 2, I'm there often. Home of the Golden Knights, if you want to watch, party, and watch this hockey team in a great place for football, bowl season and everything we do. Really appreciate them as I'm thanking all my proud partners but they fuel the monologue and I mention them first every day. Been with me for a long time. Thank you again everyone at Golden Entertainment. So what are we doing today? Today is a really special day. I feel very lucky. I was asked to come to the Raiders facility this morning and preview the documentary that will air tonight on YouTube and you'll see it at raiders.com. You cannot miss this. The Immaculate Reception 50 years later. It was incredible half hour documentary and footage. I've never seen before brand new interviews and new content as the Raiders had the cooperation of the Steelers to get exclusive interviews with Terry Bradshaw Frenchie Fuqua unbelievable footage that I didn't see of the game different angles also a physicist came in and looked at the ball angle. It'll all play tonight and you'll see it but it was incredible And then afterwards, after watching that for a half hour, I had an exclusive interview with George Atkinson, who was on the field, the safety, next to Jack Tatum throughout that game, and George Atkinson sat down with us, I think, for 20, 25 minutes and talked about that game 50 years later. Holy cow, the information's amazing. See, the Raiders in-house, Mark Davis has a vision to document all the Raider history from his father's history even before that. And they have a department in there that does a great job at Silver and Black Productions and the Raiders Life Team. This is a Silver and Black Productions documentary, and it's well done. It's as good as anything you've seen at NFL Films, E60. It's a tremendous group of people behind the scenes. So I got to do that today. It was fabulous, man. It was unbelievable to see this. And you're going to see it coming up tonight, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 Eastern. And enjoy it. I mean, make an appointment television. Sit down tonight and watch this. It'll take 26, 28 minutes of your time, and you'll be a better Raider fan for it. And then our conversation with George Atkinson, and then my sit-down with the roundtable on the victory of Chandler Jones against the Patriots with Q Myers. That drops tonight also. And we previewed this. So I had a busy day today well before I cracked the microphone to start today. I want to also say that George Atkinson, was the guy that I was with when Silver and Black Productions began. George and I were the co-host of Behind the Shield. So whenever I get a chance to be around George, uh, George is really important in my life. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for George Atkinson, one of the few people that gave me an opportunity with this organization in whatever media capacity that I had. So it was very important. George doesn't do a lot anymore in regards to media. He did a hell of a lot over the years. So to get 20 minutes with George Atkinson to take us behind the scenes, In the locker room, the flight home, what Jack Tatum told him. It was heavy. And to just preview our interview, George said it was the toughest football game still that he ever played in his life. He won the Super Bowl, played in seven championship games in his career. Let that sink in. George played in seven championship games, AFC championship games, and or the Super Bowl. And he said that was clearly his toughest game. And I think you're going to see that in the documentary coming up. If you have anything you want to say about the immaculate deception, and George phrased that, not the Raiders. That is not a Raider term. You don't hear the Raiders promoting the immaculate deception. That is exclusive to George Atkinson and his thoughts on the game. And he's got some of the strongest opinions I've ever seen. If you have an opinion on that game 50 years later, if you're alive when the game was played, if you're a young boy or girl, if you remember it, you became a Raider fan after the game, What are your memories of that game? What do you specifically remember? And how do you park that in the history of the Raiders? It's clearly the most controversial game ever played. And the tuck rule is really close behind it. The tuck rule is really close behind it. And if this Chandler Jones walk-off was in the playoffs, that would be there, along with the Holy Roller and a couple other games. So for George Atkinson to play in that game and be able to sit down and talk about it, George played strong safety for the Raiders from 1968 to 1977 and helped the Raiders win Super Bowl XI against the Vikings. He's tied for fifth in career interceptions with the Raiders at 30, fumble recoveries at 13 in Raider franchise history. And one of the other things, we have a list of all the big games that the Raiders have played where there's now famous titles to it, and George played in most of the games. Listen to this list, ladies and gentlemen, that I was handed to today. In the category of the Raiders name games, the Heidi game, week 11, November 17, 1968, Raiders win 43-32. to 32. They have a category of George Blanda miracle games that start in 1970 from week 6 to week 10. Now, I didn't know exactly that this all came after each other. November, October 25th, Raiders beat the Steelers 31-14 the following week. Kansas City Raiders what a game that was that was um, these games were amazing 17-17 week 8 right after that Raiders beat the Browns 23 to 20 the following week week 9 November 15 1970 mile high Raiders 24 Broncos 19 and then week 10 November twenty second, 1970 Raiders beat the Chargers 20 to 17 they were all categorized under one player George Blanda, the Hall of Famer. Then came the Immaculate Reception. Then came the Sea of Hands, the 1974 AFC Divisional Game, December 21st, 1974, Raiders 28, Dolphins 26. The 1975 Ice Bowl, the AFC Championship Game, Three Rivers, January 4th, 76, Steelers 16-10 over the Raiders. The legendary Ray Sugar Bear Hamilton Game, 1976 Divisional Playoffs, Raiders 24, Pats 21. Raiders don't win that game on the roughing the passer on Stabler. Stabler runs it in. If the Raiders don't win that, they don't win their first Super Bowl. They're still in a drought. Ghost to the Post, 1977. Christmas Eve, 1977 Memorial Stadium, Raiders 37, Colts 31. The Rob Lytle fumble game. 1977 AFC Conference Championship, New Year's Day, 1978 mile high, Raiders lose 20-17 to on a blown call that would have led the Raiders to a Super Bowl. The Holy Roller, 1978 Week 2, September 10th, San Diego, Raiders 21, Chargers 20. Red Right 88, the 1980 AFC Divisional Game, Cleveland. Raiders 14 Browns 12 the Millennium game week 17 January 2nd 2000 Arrowhead Raiders 41 Chiefs 38 the tuck rule 2001 AFC divisional Foxborough Patriots 16 Raiders 13 and the divine interception week 5 October 9th 2011 in Houston After the passing of Al Davis, Raiders 25, Texans 20. Those are all the name games in Raiders history. How about that? No team in professional sports has more games named after them, including the New York Yankees, the most famous team in in North American sports history with 27 championships, all the way down to the Patriots and the Steelers. The Raiders have the most games with names, that are not made up names. These are names helped out by NFL Films, John Facenda, in the history of the league. And then we're trying to figure out what to name this Chandler Jones game. I'm talking to the guys and gals today, I'm just going to sit back and watch and decide what they name that. But a lot of people have been coming in with some good names at Raiders on Twitter. Or if you want to go on their Facebook page and throw up a couple of opinions on that, so I'm excited. I, you know, the I wasn't around. I wasn't a Raider fan. I was alive, but I wasn't there in 1972. And as George Atkinson said, they got jobbed. They got jobbed. And Frenchie was hand hitting the ball as Jack was blowing him up. The ball going backwards. Franco, did he catch it or not? Phil Villapiano getting clipped. What a pass by Terry Bradshaw. There was a three-man rush that almost sacked Bradshaw. You want to talk about a mobile quarterback. How he got out of that play and threw that ball that Franco eventually scored on was incredible. And the players in the Hall of Famers that were on the field at that point in time, I'll give you that list coming up here in a little bit. The Raider Hall of Famers who played in that game 50 years ago, George Blanda, Willie Brown, Fred Bolitnikoff, Bob Brown, Al Davis, these are contributors too, Jim Otto, John Madden, Art Shell, Ken Stabler, Gene Upshaw, and Ron Wolfe. The Raiders had more Hall of Famers in that loss than the Steelers had with Mel Blunt, Terry Bradshaw, Joe Green, Jack Ham, Franco Harris, Chuck Knoll, Bill Nunn, Art Rooney, and his son, Dan Rooney. All of those people that I mentioned are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame and played in one game. That's how legendary the 70s were. Another topic for you depending on how old you are, I think the greatest era in the history of the Raiders or the history of the NFL is the 70s because of the 72 Dolphins, the Steelers dynasty, the Raiders, the Chiefs, and the powerful teams that played back then. I like the way they played the rules back then. This was before instant replay. I like the violence of the game. I like the way the teams hated each other and the rivalries were built. If you ask me what is the greatest era in pro football history, I would say the 70s, and I believe I could back it up. If you agree or disagree, seven zero two All right, let's get to the Steelers and what this game means. Found out today that after being sidelined with his second concussion in eight weeks, Steelers rookie quarterback Kenny Pickett is expected to start against the Raiders this Saturday night. As of yesterday afternoon, Pickett remained in concussion protocol. But Tomlin said, if the team practiced Monday, Pickett would be a full participant. I think he's checked the box. So what does this mean for the Raiders coming in? I think this is a break for the Raiders. Trubisky has more experience. If Pickett is cleared and able to go, the Raiders are playing a rookie quarterback who played at Pittsburgh in college, played in some cold weather, but has limited experience, and the Raiders should be able to come after him the way they came after Mac Jones and some of the younger quarterbacks in this league. This is also a game that the Raiders must win. It's an elimination game. They staved off elimination in the last game. They have to do it again. The weather is going to play a massive element in this game. Massive. Wind chill could be below four to five degrees. The temperature could be anywhere from 7 degrees to 14, but it's going to feel like it's below zero. That jumps out at me, everybody. Josh Jacobs, Josh Jacobs, Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs got to continue to run the football. He's running for the rushing title. He's the strength of the Raiders all year long. He doesn't take a quarter off. He doesn't disappear. He's there every time you touch the ball. He does something with it. He's got to be exceptional in this game. This is a cold-weather, snow game, ice game. you got to go with the best player on the Raiders this year with all due respect to Carr, Devontae, the return of Waller and Renfro, and the play of Mad Max Crosby, the captains and the elite players on the team. The MVP of the Raiders so far this year comes down to Josh Jacobs and Max Crosby. They both need exceptional games for the Raiders to remain alive in the playoff hunt. When it comes to a playoff scenario, this is the first time this year I'm opening up the door to talk about the P word, the playoffs. The Raiders have to run the table and win their remaining games, and then they need help. The Chargers or the Dolphins? One of those two teams has to lose two out of three. I don't believe that'll be the Chargers. I'm sad to report to you that the Chargers are going to the playoffs and the Chargers deserve to go to the playoffs because they're winning games. They shouldn't win. They're finding ways to win. Now with Green Bay going to Miami, I think that Green Bay can beat Miami and I think Miami's playing their worst football down the stretch. So you got to help me out here. If Miami loses the next two out of three and the Raiders win three in a row, that's one piece. The second piece then would have to be Jacksonville losing one out of three, New England losing one out of three. When you look at the scenario ahead of the Raiders, the Raiders, the Steelers losing, because the Raiders are playing the Steelers. If they win, they jump them, obviously. That's the path for the Raiders. And Jacksonville's got to lose one out of three because they have the tiebreaker on the Raiders. The Raiders have to run the table. Is it doable? Yeah, it is doable. But the Raiders got to take it one at a time and beat Pittsburgh. I also believe that the Raiders can beat the 49ers at home because of Brock Purdy. I'm going all in on the anti-Brock Purdy. I'm going all in that this guy's going to put up a stinker at some point. I'm going all in that he ain't running the table and having a Dan Marino rookie year. There is a loss for the Niners. I think the loss would be on the road at Allegiant Stadium. So follow me there. And then the last piece to the puzzle would be Kansas City not suiting up in Vegas because they don't have to. My ultimate dream scenario is Buffalo retains the one seed. Kansas City comes in the final game of the year, cannot get the one, so they don't need to play their starters a full game. They'll secure the two seed and have it locked up, and Andy Reid won't want to risk Patrick Mahomes against Max Crosby and Travis Kelsey and some of the players in the Raiders have a puncher's chance. So that's the scenario I have here. But it really doesn't matter unless the Raiders beat Pittsburgh on Christmas Eve. And that game's going to be tough. It's going to be physical. The other topic, one more topic I want to get in here. You should be dialing now to get on this show. You should be dialing now to get in here and give your opinion on the immaculate reception and what it takes to beat the Steelers. The final topic is this. The Raiders need to bleep and wake up on offense. Okay? You got to figure this out. I know some fans and some trolls are like, well, why don't you tell the coach he stinks? So Why don't you tell the coach he doesn't make adjustments? We don't do that. We ask the coach every question about the game, why they lost, why they won. And we do it with respect. We don't let in a random fan through the gates of, of, of Henderson with a pitchfork and scream at the coach on the flagship television show. We ask him every single question that's important about the game. And when I talk to him, I've talked about him Face to face about up tempo and playing faster. The Raiders were able to play up tempo because they had no choice as they were trailing the New England Patriots in their final possession. Fourth and ten, the pass went to Hollins. Raiders went hurry up and scored to Keenan Cole on a controversial play. Yeah, it was controversial. Did he get his feet in bounds or not? It was inconclusive. Touchdown stands. Why can't the Raiders play like that more often? Why can't the Raiders spread four wide? No huddle, get in and out of the huddle with the play and run the play with 12 to 18 seconds left on the clock instead of one to two seconds left on the clock. What they're doing by playing this way all year long is they're using too much time. If you take all of those 35 seconds in and out of the huddle and you add them up through four quarters, you get to the fourth quarter in a tight game with not a lot of time left. And the Raiders got to make plays. Why not treat the second quarter of the game like it's the final three minutes of the fourth quarter? Just once. Come on out and go. Go, man. Go. Get out of the huddle. Two plays in a row and have chaos so Carr can manipulate the defense. That probably won't happen in Pittsburgh because it's a cold weather game. And it's just too cold with this offensive line. And the other problem is they have too many penalties So I think they're guarded and going hurry up because they don't trust the offensive line jumping the gun. And with the motions and the way they set up it, they've just proven that they're too penalty-fueled to do this. If you're going to run no huddle and up-tempo, you do it in desperation and you do it when you trust your offensive line. I don't believe there's enough trust with that offensive line. He won't say it. Derek won't say it. But Derek can make any call he wants. And I think that Derek this year spends too much time checking the protection. No, the protection was checked on film and in Henderson all week at practice, in the walkthroughs and the padded practice if they have one. The protection's there. Okay, run the play. And run it faster and run it more intense. And when the ball, when the receiver comes to the ground, get everybody up to the ball. Get everybody to the ball and run the next play. I think if they do that, They owe it to you, the Raider Nation, to do that in one game at the remainder of the season. I don't think it'll happen in Pittsburgh. I think it could happen against the Niners and Brock Purdy. And I think it could happen, it better happen against Mahomes because that's what Mahomes does. He puts up a lot of points. That's the monologue as we continue to roll. We just added Kevin Bollinger from Fox 5 to the lineup. Levi Edwards from inside the Raider facility. And a cool conversation, really good conversation I'm proud of with Eric Winalda that I just had. He's a soccer Hall of Famer from the United States on what happened at the World Cup a little bit later on in the show. Chris in West Oakland. He knows how the show works. He dials before it starts. I go to him
1: first. Go ahead, Chris. Hey, J.K. First off, I can't wait to this uh, documentary tonight. And more importantly, I can't wait to hear George, man. It's, I, I know he doesn't do the media he used to. I know he's getting a little older. I feel very lucky that through you, I've met George and hung out with him on many occasions. And, you know, Raider fans that haven't heard a lot of him, this is a true Raider through and through. And uh, set set your dial to whatever time you got planned, because I promise you, George Atkinson talking on the Immaculate Reception is going to be something you don't want to miss. As far as uh, I'll get to the Immaculate Reception real quick, JT, my favorite games. One real quick hit. I take the opposite uh, approach. Number one way to get a lead. don't go to your what you do best you know run the no huddle, go faster. Play to get a lead, not desperation. And, you know, it's funny, JT, the whole thing about trusting the line, the cleanest drive they had all day was the fourth quarter. There were no penalties because sometimes I think when you're moving, you're taking the thinking out of it. You just get up to the line and play. There was no penalties. There was no false starts. There was not a single penalty on that final drive down the field. So maybe the opposite approach. Maybe if you have a little less trust in in your line, You give them less to think about, not more. But let's talk about the the topic of the day and why I called two days in a row. I was six years old one week after my first ever Raider game in Oakland that my dad took me to. I will never forget it. To this day, JT, it's the most angry I've ever remembered my father. I remember my mom trying to calm him down. My dad wanted to throw a bottle through the TV set. He lost a $100 bet, which in 1972 was a pretty good chunk of change, to a guy he didn't like that was a Steeler fan. And over the years, it's the one play that constantly got his blood boiling, as were most true Raider fans. I honestly don't know if they had replay back then, if there would have been enough to overturn it. I'm really looking forward to this documentary tonight. I can still see Horace Jones taking a bad angle on Terry Bradshaw, avoiding the sack, and the ball down the field. It's just, like I said, I I can't believe 50 years have gone by. I fly into Pittsburgh, and the first thing I see is that freaking statue of Franco Harris in Paris. Pick as a ball up on the turf when you come up the escalator. There's so many times I just want to kick the damn thing over because to this day it still pisses me off, although probably not as much as the tough rule. As far as my favorite ever Raider games, it's hands down the Sea of Hands catch or, or the Sugar Bear Hamilton game. In Oakland, I sat in Section 130, Row 7, close enough to hear Snake call the plays literally right in front of me. Those were playoff games, all-time greats. Those are at the top, number one and two of any game I've ever been to. But the Immaculate Reception, it shows you what a special play was. That 50 years later, it's still a big topic of conversation in the NFL, and they're devoting enough time for an hour-long documentary on it. Thank you, my friend. I'll talk to you a little later this week about the Steeler game. I'll talk to you soon. Later.
0: Thank you. Yeah, this is a really good documentary because the raiders the Raiders produced it, and they did a really honest job with it. They just brought in former players. They spoke to him about it. Some of the B-roll and the footage that I've never seen is great. And then they bring in John Madden's son, Mike, because John couldn't be there for his health issues, obviously, and everything that happened with Coach Madden passing. And he has a really nice hook to this, too, speaking for his father. So it's very professionally well done like I knew it would be, and it's really going to be good. And, you know, for fans, I just read you the list of all these special games the Raiders played in. Unfortunately, they lost a lot of them. You can debate over a cup of coffee or an ice-cold Modelo on how many realistic Super Bowls the Raiders should have. Realistic. And it's a perfect tie into to this year. I'm sitting here this year with the Raiders with six wins, and I can realistically tell you they should have eight. Some guys are saying 11 and 10, but I dip the show in reality. The Raiders should at least be at eight because of the Arizona debacle and what happened with Baker Mayfield. Those are easy to explain. Then the Jacksonville game, they didn't deserve the New Orleans game. They never showed up in New Orleans. They never got past the 50-yard line. So throw that game out. And then the Indianapolis game, how would you like to have that one back? Raise your hand, beep your horn if you'd like the first-ever game for their new coach, Jeff Saturday, back. And then the Kansas City game, they were up 17 nothing. So one of the things I tried to do this year just with the voice of reason, and I'm normally not the voice of reason, is just show a little bit more respect for the head coach because he should have had nine or ten wins, and you wouldn't be saying a bleep about him if he did. Even if he had eight, you'd be upset about some halves and some where are the adjustments and all that, which is fair for any coach. But realistically, there should have been more wins. And that comes down to the debate. Do you blame the players or do you blame the coach? Well, this year it feels like you're always blaming the coach. To the point where it's very frustrating for me because I got to sit down with him. You're always blaming him, and then when he does something good and wins, and he has these immaculate speeches in the locker room, I don't have nine phone lines lit up saying, "Hey, let's stop for a second and congratulate the head coach. That was a hell of a win. They played hard. They're not quitting. They're fighting to the wire." I get none of it. Silence, crickets. So just be fair. The Raiders should have eight to nine wins. They have six. They have to run the table to get to nine to have a above 500 season. And for some really good things to happen, maybe some miracles on the back end, which most likely won't happen, but we can talk about it this week. Because what else am I going to do? Monday could have been a funeral on this show. Not going to be a funeral. I'm not on Christmas Day. So what happens after that's going to happen? But this week is a celebration of the Chandler Jones play and the greatness of the Raiders and what happened at Allegiant Stadium, along with a preview of the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Deception. All coming up here, 702-365-9200. We're brought to you by Remy Martin. Team up for excellence. I want to thank Remy Martin and the entire team there. They have a great team, proud partners of ours. I have the Botanist Gin, the Remy Martin, the Quantro is amazing. All the great times I had with that team, and the fact that they're a partner here and help us out along the way, we can't thank them enough. Remy Martin, drive responsibly. And team up for excellence. So Levi Edwards will join us at the top of the hour. Kevin Bollinger will join us at 1.30. My conversation with Eric Winalda And Ben Brown from Pro Football Focus is going to join us next and talk about some of these playoff scenarios and which teams are rising and the teams that are dropping. I'm always excited to be on the radio. It's a privilege to host one of the shows on the flagship of the Silver and Black.
2: On second and 20, this time the Patriots only bring
1: three. Carr, down the middle of the field, open Waller! Welcome back, Darren! Touchdown, Raiders! A seam throw right down the middle for 25 yards! First time in the game since Kansas City Week 5! And his first catch is a touchdown!
0: Nice play. Jason Horowitz on the call. Waller was wide open. JT, happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas in advance if we don't get a chance to see you before that. Always a pleasure to talk to Ben Brown. He joins us, sports betting and data analyst for Pro Football Focus at PFF underscore Ben Brown. And, Ben, thanks again. Uh, Let's begin with all of this. Are you in? Are you out? You need help. When you look at this from a sports gambling perspective and analytics there's a lot of fans that need help this time of year. How do you handle these specific teams that need to get in via the back door?
3: Yeah, I, I mean, there's, there's obviously a, a clear tier of teams, especially in the NFC, I would say, that you know, very much control their own destiny, uh, and don't need a lot of help, and then there's also some teams that you know in some ways control their own destiny, but have a very difficult schedule. You know, remaining over the course uh, of the remaining schedule to the point where they might not get in, you know, because of that factor. So it, it, it's difficult. There's obviously a ton of scenarios, a ton of leverage type games coming up here once again. So it, it's 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 uh, you know got to be the most wonderful time of the year, though. I would say.
0: Yeah, the Giants beating the Commanders were a big deal, and what happened in that perspective for the Giants here, who are at eight and five they still got some unfinished business to do here but the commanders now trail them with the seahawks and and then the lions what do you like about the lions scenario winning 6 of the last 7 and being at 7 and 7 making this big playoff push
3: yeah so basically right now from pffs perspective we have you know both the washington commanders and the detroit lions with the exact same percentage to get into the playoffs the reason why you know we kind of lean towards the detroit lions is you know, twenty most difficult strength of schedule remaining. They have a ton of winnable games toward the end of their schedule. They do have kind of that you know week eighteen game against the Green Bay Packers looming a little bit, but. You know, if the Packers slip up before then, they're not going to have a lot of incentive to play, you know, I would say really good football at the end of the season. So I like, I like Detroit's chances uh, uh, quite a bit here. We have them with 38% chance of getting in. Uh, I think given what they've shown offensively, especially, you know, making some plays from a passing perspective with Amon Ross St. Brown, they are definitely treading in the right direction. And I think, you know, the hype is real. So uh, out of all the teams, I would say kind of vying for these last couple of spots, Uh, I very much think Detroit is probably the correct bet uh, if you're looking to get some sort of action down in the playoff market.
0: Ben Brown is our guest, PFF. So with the Cowboys as the four seed, that's only because we don't have a division winner yet with the Buccaneers or what's going to happen with Carolina. So where the Cowboys are now, three games behind the Eagles with the Eagles coming up. I don't think Jalen Hurts should play. If he's not 100%, you can sit him down. But if the Eagles lose to go to 13 and 2 and the Vikings go to 12 and 3 with an upcoming win here, how close is it for the Eagles to lose home field advantage? Because they just got to win one more. They should pretty much have that locked up with or without Jalen going forward, right?
3: Yeah, they very much so, And I, and I agree with you. I think it makes a ton of sense to kind of give him, you know, the rest he needs. Obviously they are very much in line to kind of get that first round by in the playoffs. But if he's dealing with a shoulder injury, especially due to his throwing shoulder, like that's a situation you want to get right. So I, I don't mind sitting him down. We have basically Dallas with, you know, a 1% chance of winning the division division. So very unlikely. They mm-hmm. need to win all three games. Philadelphia needs to lose all three games and Dallas has a pretty difficult remaining schedule. So, I think Philadelphia can squeak one out here. I do think Gardner Minshew has been you know, a, a pretty capable backup quarterback. Uh, maybe he isn't going to win against Dallas this weekend, but I very much think he's going to get the job done to the point where they should kind of lock in that number one seed.
2: Uh,
3: and if they do, very much the team to beat. I, I do think you know, Dallas specifically kind of you know, nestled into that fifth seed when they don't end up winning the, you know, the NFC East division and facing off against you know, either the, the Tom Brady, led Tampa Bay Buccaneers, or maybe the Carolina Panthers. Like, their, their path to potentially upsetting the Eagles in round two, I also think is, you know, somewhat clear and available and very much a situation that they can take advantage of.
0: Ben Brown is our guest. So here's a big one, Ben. When I look at Minnesota, their final three games were staying in the NFC. After the greatest comeback of all time against Indy, they get the Giants at home. Giants are playing for their lives. I think Minnesota's a better team. Then they're at Green Bay, where they normally struggle, and at Chicago – and those are two games they should win especially if Green Bay gets eliminated coming up this weekend. Do you think the Vikings will prevail for the 2 seed or do you think the 49ers could jump them?
3: I think you know I, I think that both teams uh, are kind of in an interesting predicament, mm-hmm. right? Cuz not you not not a ton of movement between being the 2 or 3 seed obviously you win round 1 you are going to have you know that that first round that first round home playoff game but then from there you're very much you know kind of looking at whether you are trying to get that second round matchup in the divisional round at home or on the road. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see the Minnesota Vikings kind of a veteran-laden team potentially rest some of these guys that have been, you know, just a little bit banged up at certain points in time. I do think that's kind of what we've seen even, you know, in in, in games where they have gotten blown out outside of the Colts game in the first half. But, you know, the game against Dallas, they very much seemed... Uh, comfortable with kind of backing off in that particular matchup, not risking getting injured. So I think that mentality actually might play out for Minnesota and they might not be inclined to push for, you know, the the number two seed more than they need to, but I'm with you. I think, I think the Giants game this weekend will kind of tell us a lot as far as what their, what their approach is going to be for the final three weeks of the season. But I I would very much not be surprised if they end up backing off a little bit and and getting guys some rest and, 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 feel comfortable kind of sliding into that two or three seed, and kind of just letting the chips fall where they may.
0: Ben Brown's our guest sports betting and data analyst for pro football focus. So in the AFC, what I like about this is Buffalo has the tiebreaker over Kansas city by winning in Kansas city and the Bengals have won six in a row. That's the hottest team in the AFC. I think all these teams got to play it down to the wire. If Kansas city drops you want that second home game. That's why I mentioned the Niners. If Brock Purdy's got to play two playoff games at the first one on the road, I don't think he gets to the Super Bowl. But with Joe Barrow in Kansas City, that fight for the two-seed, and Buffalo just having the tiebreaker, I love what's happening in the AFC. These three elite teams are going to play right down to the wire. They don't want to drop down anymore.
3: Yep, and we've kind of seen, you know, in prior years, all three of these teams kind of press to improve some of that playoff seed. so... I'm with you. You know, I I think you know outside of maybe you know Philadelphia, if Jalen Hurts is kind of back in the fold, like you know we're we're still kind of talking about this. These three AFC teams as kind of being you know the, the best of the best from an NFL perspective, and seeing them kind of duking it out to get that number one and number two seed is going to be paramount. Because I don't think you know specifically from the Bengals perspective or the Chiefs perspective, like they're they're very much looking at each other and saying you know we're going to have to go on the road and beat that team if we end up with this number three seed. So the incentive is there from the AFC perspective. Uh, I do lean in the chief's direction. We have them with Mm -hmm. the 28th most difficult remaining strength of schedule. Cincinnati, you know, has done it here, but still very much has, you know, a, a difficult path, I would say to winning out here. Third most difficult schedule from PFS perspective. So, I would lean in the Chiefs' direction a little bit here, and I do think that's kind of the reason why you know Patrick Mahomes to potentially you know win the win the MVP uh, is looking more and more likely as we move towards the end of the season.
0: Wrapping it up with Ben Brown. Ben, finally, Miami's lost three in a row, and that could be one of the teams that could get knocked out if they're in the middle of a collapse and three in a row. They're trending poorly. They have to play the uh, the rest of the schedule here. They got Green Bay. Green Bay's got Aaron Rodgers. He can win any game he played. We saw that last night. They're at New England. Then they get the Jets at home, and that could be an elimination game for either one of the teams. I think both the Miami, the Jets, and New England are all playing poorly enough. I don't expect all three of them to be knocked out of the playoffs, but I think the Jets and New England aren't going to make it. How do you see it?
3: Yeah, I, I, I think that it's very much going to be, you know, New England on the, on the outside looking in. We have them with a 22% chance of getting into the playoffs, but when looking at their schedule, like they, they, they're not going to be favored in any one of their three matchups coming up here. We have them with the most difficult remaining stretch uh, of games, basically. So I do think New England very much is on, uh, is on the outside looking in. I, I would lean in, uh, you know, Miami's direction. They have lost and been on a little bit of a downturn but i do think they were pretty competitive in a really tough environment with the you know the the weather elements and everything else not really being all that conducive to how they want to win football games from a passing perspective in buffalo last weekend so i still lean in in miami's direction we have them with a 70 percent chance of getting into the playoffs but uh they're 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 that 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 game i think you know like you said the jets kind of round out the season is very much going to be probably, you know, a, a win and get in type match heading up here in week, in week 18.
0: Thank you, Ben. As always, happy holidays. Thanks for everything you've done for us this year. We greatly appreciate it.
3: Thanks, JT. Have a great uh, holiday season as well.
0: Ben Brown, pro football focus. So you notice here, Raider Nation, I didn't spend a minute talking about the Raiders here. I can't. They got to beat Pittsburgh. Then the next time we have them on, I can talk about the scenario for the Raiders. because they, they need help. And I think that Miami, who's lost three in a row, could lose five out of six and be out. I think New England. New England's schedule is a little bit interesting because I mentioned they have a Miami game in there. The Raiders on the tiebreaker on New England because they just beat them. And will Belichick? Belichick traditionally bounces back. You know, when Belichick's teams lose a game and they lose it on a fluke type play like that on a, on the lateral that was interception, they bounce back. So here's I got Cincinnati at home, New England. I don't see them winning that. They have Miami at home. I think they could win that. That's a pick game. And then they end the year at Buffalo. And if Buffalo still has to fight for the one seed overall, I don't think New England will win. So as of tonight, the best-case scenario for the Raiders, if you're joining us late, is exactly what the Raiders need to make the playoffs. And it's starting to look like it's uphill sledding, but there is a chance. Again, this is what needs to happen. One of two things. The Raiders first has to win out. They need either the Chargers or the Dolphins. One of these two teams or both to lose their final two out of three games. Chargers will not. Chargers will not lose two out of three. I just predicted that the Dolphins will. They need the Patriots to lose one out of the final three games. I just predicted the game. Buffalo. They're going to do that. They need the Jets to lose one out of their final three games. They play Jacksonville coming up here. I think they're going to lose that, or they could lose the games that I mentioned there, especially Miami. The Jaguars need to lose just one game out of their final three. They will lose one game out of their final three, and the Raiders have to win all of their games. So if the Raiders win all of those games, the only thing I think is going to keep them out of the playoffs is the Chargers and the Dolphins. That would be I'd be wrong, and the Dolphins didn't lose two out of three. They've lost one out of three. There is a path for the silver and black, but they're really going to need a lot of help along the way. 702 as we continue if you want to get through. Uh, looking for your prediction on the game with all the guests we have this week. How do they beat Pittsburgh? How do they come in and beat Pittsburgh? Raider 562 in Vegas. Thanks for waiting. You're up next.
2: Hey, JT. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, kind of what you said. I, I think they got to be dialed up. When they go into Pittsburgh, and I think the way they're going to beat them is with Josh Jacobs, uh-huh. you know, and, and the run game. We got to play, you know, smart football. You yeah,
0: know, your phone's breaking like, up. Uh, go ahead.
2: Can not hear me now? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, you know, with Coach McDaniel, just like he said, you know, 60 minutes, you know, I think the 60 minutes doesn't just uh, include the players. I think it includes the coaches as well. We have to have complete, you know, and, uh, good play calls and things like that. And, you know, just a complete game, you know. And yeah. I've just been waiting to see that, you know. I, I, they're making the playoffs. Of course, it will be icing on the cake. But I just want to see some type of uh, cohesiveness in their playing. Uh, completely.
0: Okay, I got to jump in. Your phone's not great. I appreciate you getting your points in. I heard it there. Thank you. Let's Let's just break this down simply. If the Raiders can't beat Kenny Pickett, they don't deserve to go to the playoffs. Raiders didn't beat Andy Dalton. They didn't beat Matt Ryan. They didn't beat a bunch of quarterbacks this year. Kyler Murray was down 20 and they couldn't win. Kyler Murray's a hell of a player. Matt Ryan's a future Hall of Famer in my mind. Trevor Lawrence is the number one pick overall. You can name all these games. You cannot spin losing to Kenny Pickett. Period. You got Derek Carr, they don't. They have Kenny Pickett. You got to beat him. And Derek Carr's got to have a big game. Unfortunately, look, if this game was played in a warm-weather city, if this game was played at home or played in a dome, I'd be really hard on Derek this week. I would think that Derek Derek did not play well in that last game. He threw a couple of big balls late, especially the first down to Hollins and the, the bomb touchdown to Cole. The touchdown to Waller was brilliant. But the Raiders couldn't move the ball in the third quarter. That means Derek didn't have a complete game. If Derek moves the ball and wins in the first, second, third, and fourth quarter, it'll be the first time this year. Am I right or wrong? When when was there a game where Derek started out super hot and Derek finished the game super hot? Name me the game. I got all the games in front of me. What's the game? Kansas City was the best chance. They were on fire up 17-0, and they lost that game. And a lot of the blame doesn't go to Derek. It goes to the mix-and-match offensive line, Waller and Renfro being gone most of the year. The defense being soft over the middle of the field most of the year. This isn't all on Derek, but derek has got to play better. derek has got to play better, and I can't put anything on him this week in Pittsburgh because the conditions are going to be too tough. If it's minus three wind chill, I can't expect Derek Carr to go out and throw for 300 yards and three touchdowns. It'd be nice. Maybe he can do it. So I'm counting on Josh Jacobs to close out and win this game. Who do you think needs to be the key to the game this week? And please... Add in the special teams or the defense. As we're thanking all of our partners, I'd like to thank Tommy White from the 872 Laborers. Tommy, thanks for everything. Big part of the show. They built the stadium on time, on budget, and safely. Now people walk into Allegiant Stadium, thanks to the 872 Laborers, and say, look at this palace in the desert. And that's not just football. It's college football. It's concerts. It's special events. Thanks to the local 872 for being our proud partner.
2: Here they trail 24-17 with 37 seconds to
1: go on the ball, on the Patriots 30. Snap to Cole, looking left, lobs towards the far end zone, over the shoulder, it's called by Cole! What's the it is! on! Keelan Cole with the catch of his life! And the Raiders are an extra point away from tying this game with 32 seconds to go!
0: How about that play? And they reviewed it, and it, was he in bounds? He might have been out of bounds by... A millimeter or a centimeter, and that's not conclusive. Does everybody understand it wasn't conclusive? He wore a white cleat with black trim, and obviously underneath there was black on the sole. But the top of the boot was white. And when it went there, when did his foot enter the ground? Did it enter it in the end zone or up against the white line? They looked at it forever. They looked at it forever. It was inconclusive. So for those who are arguing about it, you can argue about it all day, but there wasn't enough evidence to overturn. Now, if they didn't call touchdown and then they looked at it, they would have kept it as a non-touchdown. But they called touchdown and they weren't able to overturn it because it was inconclusive. And that was a huge play because if the Raiders did not win that game and they lost because Mac Jones and Bill Belichick came back as the Raiders were up 17-3, to it would have been a brutal week this week. We wouldn't be talking about Chandler Jones. It would have never happened wouldn't have talked about anything else. It would have been, why did the Raiders blow another lead? Why can't they finish anybody off? That's what we're talking about now. We have some positive momentum to build on, and that momentum needs to be pushed into Pittsburgh. Now, the weather's going to be brutal, as in really cold. It might not snow or not. We don't know if it's going to snow right at the stadium or three miles away, but it's going to be frigid, and the Raiders are going to have to be mentally prepared to play. Pittsburgh doesn't play many, many games in the frigid cold, only in December. They'll have the advantage playing at home in that type of weather. But Josh Jacobs is going to have to run hard, and the offensive line is going to understand what they need to do. These are very important games. And fortunately, the Raiders' running game, without even a pro bowler, I don't think Colt Miller this year played at a pro bowl level. He played at a very good level. Very good level, but not at the level of shell and upshaw. Raider offensive line is average at best. And look what Josh Jacobs has been able to do behind that line. If the offensive line plays their best game, the Raiders will win behind Josh Jacobs. Hour number two next.